0: Welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on the Book of Acts. The Listener's Commentary is a crowdfunded Bible teaching project made possible by the generosity of people just like you, and we're really making a concerted effort this year to expand the donor base, the support base for this ministry, so that I can give myself more fully to this work and focus on it more completely. And so I want to say thank you. There's been a handful of new monthly donors in the last week or so. And so thanks for signing up and joining the team. If you're one of those new donors who have uh, signed on to be a financial supporter of the listener's commentary, and if you've been blessed in some way by this ministry, uh, I just would uh, extend the invitation to you to prayerfully consider setting up a monthly donation, or giving a one-time gift to help us grow and expand this ministry. All right, in this recording, we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Paul has just met with the elders of the church at Ephesus in the city of Miletus. The third missionary journey has centered on Paul's ministry in Ephesus and the impact it had on all of Asia. So it makes sense that Luke took the time to record Paul's meeting with those elders and his message to them and his encouragement, his challenge, his exhortation to the elders from there. Well, now at this point, Paul is leaving them and his plan is to sail on to Jerusalem and and Lord willing, be there by Pentecost it's already been a couple weeks since Passover. He celebrated that back in Philippi. And so he only has a few more weeks until it's Pentecost. And so what we get in this section is we get Paul sailing from Miletus down the western coast of Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, to the city of Patera, and from there boarding a ship that's heading all the way to the eastern coast of the Mediterranean. What that means is there's going to be a handful of geographic locations that are mentioned fairly quickly in this section. So it might do you well to open up a map so you can at least kind of trace where Paul is at and understand some things just from the geography that is involved here. But here's how the story unfolds. Uh, Acts 21 verse 1 says this, Now we, when we had parted from them, the them is the elders from the church at Ephesus. So when we had parted from them and had set sail... Sailing out of Miletus, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. So we get three quick stops as Paul and his team move down the coast of Asia Minor. First, they stop at Kos, and Kos is a small island off the western coast of Asia Minor. It was actually famous in the ancient world for a medical school. The school actually started by Hippocrates. If you've heard of the Hippocratic Oath, well, that's named for Hippocrates, and Hippocrates had founded a medical school on the island of Kos. Then, from Kos, they sailed down the next day to Rhodes, and Rhodes was famous for uh, the Colossus of Rhodes, which was a hundred-foot-tall statue of the sun god Helios. It had been destroyed before Paul's time. It had been destroyed in the third century B.C. Nevertheless, it was famous uh, during its time as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So they sailed then in into Roads, and then from there the next day they sailed down the coast to Patera. And Patera was one of the major harbor towns for that region. It was actually a strategic place for a lot of the Alexandrian grain ships that would bring wheat and grain from Alexandria, Egypt, to this part of the Greco Roman world. And so it was a major harbor. And so there at Patera, Paul and his team found a ship that was sailing all the way. To the east coast of the Mediterranean. And so there at Patera, they change ships and they prepare to sail about 400 miles all the way to the Mediterranean coast. It would be about a three to five day uh, voyage, depending on the winds and all of that. And so verse two says, And having found a ship there at Patera crossing over to Phoenicia, Phoenicia refers to the northeastern coast of the Mediterranean, and so they found a ship that's heading that direction, which gets them where they need to go, and they boarded that ship and then set sail with that ship. Verse three, when we came in sight of Cyprus. So a whole lot of sailing has happened by verse three. Uh, Cyprus uh, is almost all the way to Phoenicia, and so They have sailed for several days across the Mediterranean by the time we get to verse 3. And it says, When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for the ship was to unload its cargo there. So they sail all the way from Patera, go into the open water, sail across the Mediterranean, Uh, They pass by Cyprus to the south of it. And so it's on their left-hand side. And eventually they arrive um, at Syria, the Roman political region, and landed at the city of Tyre. And Tyre was a major port, major harbor city uh, on the northeastern coast of the Mediterranean. And so they arrive there. And they stop for some time because the ship, whatever cargo it's carrying, is gonna unload its cargo there. And so, verse four, since they're gonna be there for a little while, notice what happens. Verse four, after looking up the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. Uh, so the ship stopped there, it's gonna unload its cargo. Paul's gonna be there for a little bit. They made good time, presumably. And so he's got a little time before he has to get to Jerusalem. So he looks up the Christians there entire and ended up spending a whole week with them. And they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And the way that's worded really forces us to at least ask the question, is Paul going against what the Spirit is saying by going to Jerusalem? And my understanding of what I read in this whole journey is, no, I don't think so. I suppose that's possible, but it doesn't seem like it based on everything that's said. Specifically, we're going to get an episode here very shortly where I think we get a pretty clear sense of what actually is going on here at Tyre um, and probably what's going on in other places as well. Paul's already said, he said it to the elders of Ephesus when he met with them at Miletus, that in every city, the Spirit keeps saying that bonds and afflictions await him. So we know that seems to be the major message that the Spirit is giving. What we see after this event in Tyre, a little bit later, is we see a prophet from Jerusalem come down, whose name is Agabus, we'll see it shortly, and what he does is he ties up Paul's hands with Paul's own belt and says, the Spirit says, this is what's going to happen to the man who owns this belt in Jerusalem. And then the people responded by saying, don't go, don't go, don't go, so my guess is That's probably what's happening here in Tyre as well, is the Spirit's actually indicating that difficulty and afflictions and chains await Paul in Jerusalem, and the people are responding to that message with, so Paul, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. That's what I think is going on because that's clearly what happens here just a little bit later when we get full details of how this kind of stuff unfolds. So Paul knows that it's going to get difficult in Jerusalem. The Spirit keeps warning him of the difficulty, but Paul himself, uh, as he said to the elders at Ephesus, feels bound in the Spirit or bound by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So he believes he's following the Spirit to Jerusalem, but the Spirit's also warning him that bonds and afflictions await him. And those who love him just don't want him to go. As one scholar said, sometimes... Uh, people who love you will try to keep you from the cross. Well, the trip continues in verse 5, and it says, When our days there in Tyre were ended, we left and started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. And so notice that. The believers there in Tyre, not just the, the men, but their the wives, even their kids, it was really the whole church affair. They escorted Paul and his team out of the city, out to the ship. And notice, after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. So right there on the coast, on the beach, they had a little prayer gathering and they knelt down again together in a posture of submission and reverence before God. And they prayed for one another. And then there was another farewell there in Tyre. So they boarded the ship and the people from Tyre returned back to their homes. Well, verse 7, from uh, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, uh, another city down the coast, of really the furthest south city, just before you start getting into um, the regions of Judea. And so they sailed from Tyre to Ptolemais, and they greeted the brothers and sisters there. We stayed with them for a day. So the ship stopped there. They were going to be there overnight. So Paul looked up the Christians in Ptolemaeus, um, met them. And, uh, and then from there, the next day, verse 8, on the next day we left and came to Caesarea. And so they sail from Ptolemaeus to Caesarea. And Caesarea is the, the major port for Judea. And so they arrive at Caesarea, a beautiful sea town. About 60 miles from Jerusalem, it's the Roman political headquarters for the region of Judea. And so they arrive at Caesarea and continuing on in verse eight, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, this is fascinating because the last time we saw Philip was back in Acts chapter 8, right? He's one of the seven that was chosen in Acts 6. And then we saw some of his ministry in Acts 8, where he uh, led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. And then he was last seen doing ministry in Caesarea. Well, apparently he has settled down there, right? It's been... 20-something years since then, and apparently he's settled down in Caesarea, and there's a solid church in the city of Caesarea, and apparently he's maybe one of the leaders of it, not totally sure, but he's living in Caesarea, and so they went to his house, and they stayed with him. He he must have a sizable enough house to host Paul and his team, right? There's nine or so people involved in Paul's little entourage, and so They stayed with him. He's got space. He puts them up in Caesarea. Verse 9 says, Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And so, uh, at some point, Philip, if he wasn't married when we saw him in Acts chapter 8, he's since married. um, And he has uh, daughters who are... Uh, presumably, it seems, marriageable age, but have not married. That's the point of them being virgins. And they're also prophetesses. They have the gift of prophecy. And so um, they are significantly involved in uh, ministry and church leadership there in some regard in the city of Caesarea as well. And so Paul and his team is staying with them. And verse 10, as we were staying there for some days. So he's arrived. He's Uh, On the final leg of his journey to Jerusalem, he's wanting to get there by Pentecost. Um, He's staying then in Caesarea for a few days with uh, the church there, specifically with Philip and his family. And while they were there, verse 10, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, probably from Jerusalem. And so he's a prophet. His name is Agabus. He comes to Paul at Caesarea, and here's what happens. Verse 11, And he came to us, remember Luke is part of the traveling team with Paul, and he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands. So he binds up his his feet with Paul's belt, he binds up his hands, and he says this, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. And so the message from the Spirit through the prophet Agabus, is that Paul is going to be bound up and handed over to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. This seems to be the message that Paul's been getting all the way on this trip. He's been traveling for several weeks, right? And everywhere he stops, he keeps getting told this, that bonds await him, afflictions await him. Uh, But then the response of the people is uh, they're begging him not to go. So notice verse 12. When we heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. So notice, Luke includes himself. We, Paul's team, uh, the local believers there in Caesarea, they're all begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And this seems to be what, as I noted just a moment ago, happened at Tyre. The message is, bad things are waiting for Paul in Jerusalem. The response of the people is, don't go, don't go. And that's what happens here in Caesarea. So uh, Luke and all the others traveling with Paul and Philip and the local believers are all begging Paul not to go. How does Paul respond? Well, verse 13, Paul replied, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? And so they're they're begging him and uh, with tears, it seems, begging him not to go because they don't want what what's going to happen to him to happen, right? Paul says it's breaking his heart. Don't do this. You're breaking my heart. And then he says, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul's like, look, this is what the Spirit says, and yet I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem and I'm prepared for whatever comes. If that means chains, so be it. If that means death, so be it. I am ready. I am ready uh, to be bound and even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, verse 14, we became quiet, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. And so they're going to entrust the situation to the Lord. Lord, you're the one that keeps saying that Paul's going to be bound. And so we're just going to trust you with that. Uh, He really is compelled. He wants to go, right? And so the will of the Lord be done. And so with that, Luke wraps up the story of Paul's journey to Jerusalem at the end of the third missionary journey. Verse 15, after these days that they spent there in Caesarea, we got ready and started our way up to Jerusalem. We're not told uh, the mode of travel. Is it by foot or is it by horse? And it's a little bit unclear because the word translated we got ready is sometimes used specifically for packing up horses. So maybe they rode some horses, maybe they walked. It's about 60 miles. And so you're going to get several days uh, of travel by foot or a couple days of travel by horses, depending on how you go about it. Um, But they got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came along with us. And so the team has grown a little bit um, and they're going to travel with them. And they're going to take them specifically, verse 16, taking us to Manasin of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to stay And So they make their trip up to Jerusalem and they've already arranged, presumably, uh, a place to stay with this disciple named Manasin. He's originally from Cyprus, but he's now living in Jerusalem, and he's described as a disciple of long standing, meaning he's been a disciple in Jerusalem for a long time. He has a good reputation, and he's been around a long time, and so Paul and his team are going to stay with him. Now, two notes on both of these things, both Philip housing Paul and his team, and Manasseh housing Paul and his team. Um, Philip is a Jew. We're going to assume that Manasseh is a Jew since he's living in Jerusalem. And both of them are willing to put up Paul and his team. And Paul's team includes a whole bunch of Gentiles. And this is significant. It reminds us how far we've come since the early days of the book of Acts and how now we have Jewish believers willing to be hosts to Gentiles who are followers of Jesus. And so Luke ends his description of the journey in verse 17 by saying, After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us gladly. And so Paul and Luke and Timothy and the others that are traveling with them arrive in Jerusalem and are received gladly by the church there in Jerusalem. One of the things that strikes me out of this section, as I just reflect on it a tiny bit, is this whole issue of the will of the Lord. Here's Paul on his way to Jerusalem being warned over and over again that bonds and afflictions await him. And yet he still believes it's the will of the Lord for him to go to Jerusalem. And he's prepared to accept whatever happens. And sometimes, sometimes the will of the Lord involves pain and suffering and difficulty. And I think it's important for us to... Uh, just reflect on that: um, suffering, loss, hardship, doesn't necessarily mean you're outside of the Lord's will. Um, ease, comfort, right, prosperity, doesn't necessarily mean you're in the center of the Lord's will. If we want to use that phrase, that um, the Lord's will ultimately comes down to being aligned with the person of Jesus. And living your life completely and fully for him and for his honor and for his glory. And that's why Paul says what he says to uh, the believers there in Caesarea. That he's, he's willing to be bound and even die if necessary for the Lord Jesus Christ on his behalf. And so the main thing for us to make sure that we're really living in sync with the will of God. Is to live completely submitted to and surrendered to the lordship of Jesus himself, and that our life is designed to give him honor and glory in whatever way that might be.